Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game, and other games too. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Doing great. You can probably tell, if you if you listen to this straight after the previous episode, you'll probably mm. be able to tell we've been talking all weekend. <laughs> your <laughs> yeah. slight sound ever so slightly deeper than we did in the previous episode. Yeah, do not adjust your headsets. It's not that the audio quality has changed. It's the, the uh, vocal cord quality has degraded. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it, yes. Yeah. yeah. I've actually had to say to people as well, I'm not I'm not ill. It's just my voice sounds really scratchy. I'm, I'm otherwise fine because I open my mouth and people go, what's wrong? <laughs> Surprisingly not ill, though, as well. Like, normally this point after the, the expo... Mm-hmm. The the con flu is starting to set in. Yeah, yeah. But feeling good. I said to you at the expo, I think right towards the end, maybe one positive thing of the pandemic is that it has changed people's attitudes to germs and health. That there's not a sort of, oh, it doesn't matter if I have a cold, I'll just power through. That maybe people are going, oh, actually... If I'm not feeling good, I shouldn't go to a public space and sneeze all over people. Mm. So kind of, I say that someone still sneezed at my table, but <laughs> still a terrifying. Uh, oh, what's the word? Terrifying implications of of people not washing their hands mm. prior mm. to prior to COVID. Yes, how many yeah. people were wandering around just going to the toilet and then not washing their hands? Yeah, yeah, pretty horrifying. Anyway, this isn't a public health announcement episode. <laughs> this not, is us after the, anyway. after the expo. We have spent three days at the expo demoing Earthborn Rangers. And this is part of why I mentioned that our podcast is about other games too, because both of us have been getting more and more increasingly more excited about this game. It's a, a cooperative card game like Arkham Horror. It shares many similarities, but also something's different. And we've just spent essentially... 50 hours between us demoing this game to probably, I don't know, a couple of hundred people, maybe not that many, but close to it, right? Yeah, yeah. I was, I said something like 40 games between us, and then you said that's Mm -hmm. conservative, and I'm like, no, it can't be. But actually, yeah, probably must be more than that. Mm -hmm. Like, if it was eight games a day, that's like essentially 50 games. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe 200 people ish Jesus. <laughs> which is yeah quite a lot of people and quite a lot of hours doing that game so in this episode we want to talk a little bit about our experience doing that what we learned what what's we're left with but also we got to play some arkham as well with some patrons and non-patrons and we wanted to talk about that too because this is a podcast about arkham horror the card game as well yeah yeah absolutely where should we start peter well let's start on i don't know on, on thursday morning Friday morning, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah, Thursday morning. I went to work. Yes. You also were working, or no, not in the morning? No, I was driving. Getting prepped and then driving. Prepped and then driving. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Friday morning. How was it? Yes. Well, Friday morning. Yes, Friday morning. What was Friday morning like? Well, we we got set up our demo sets out. Got all the deluxe tokens that Andrew brought with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, it was it wasn't long before we started teaching our first game of Earthborn Rangers, was it? Must be mm. half an hour in, I think. Yeah, if that. Yeah, yeah. 
And that was one of the things going in that we really weren't sure about. Would we be demoing intermittently? Would we be hanging around twiddling our thumbs a bit? Or would it be busy? Yeah. And listener, it was busy. <laughs> yeah, it really was. There was one occasion on three days where I didn't immediately have a new table to demo to. That was it. Yeah, the start start on Friday morning, maybe it was 20 minutes or 25 minutes till we were first demoing. And then from that point onwards to Sunday at three o'clock, I don't think I had any downtime. <laughs> it's yeah, crazy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it was yeah. just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was pretty full on. It was fascinating to me the range of people we were demoing to from people who've backed the game on Kickstarter and want you know are just desperate to play and wanted to come and play to people who are fans of the show and wanted to come and hang out on like Arkham and want to see what Earthborn Rangers is like to people just walking around the expo to people who are drawn by the theme you know seeing that it's sort of ecologically friendly that the game's recyclable that got some people interested and there's people for whom card games are something they're very confident and then other people who you know, almost looked like they'd never handled a card before in their life. Just like the art. Was... <laughs> yeah, just like the art. What's this yeah. game about? Yeah. So a real range of people as well, which that is really entertaining as a demoer because you're, you're altering your approach depending on who you're dealing with. It's not just the same spiel. And I got a lot out of that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that first teach, Peter, how was it? Well, interestingly enough, I think that the most memorable thing happened during my first teach, which was a, a, mm. a couple who knew the game relatively well. I think one of them had kickstarted it mm-hmm. and <laughs> had, there's like a, you get a, a, a tea kit, a loose leaf tea kit. Mm. And then mm. when you, you, you pluck uh, flora that you find in your environment, you can turn it into tea, which gives you a, uh, additional energy. energy to spend yeah yeah and which makes sense right drink yeah, tea it does. yeah it does so he, he got the tea kit out and was really excited to start making all the tea and they then traveled and went to the ancestors grove which is the location mm. when you arrive this is like uh introductory text about how all of the the trees there are planted to commemorate the passing of a ranger or a loved one mm. and there's other people moving around the, the grove and um, paying their respects uh, it's quite of a, a solemn place, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he was like, oh, I can't wait to make tree a tea with all of these <laughs> memorial trees. I'll just pluck a load of the flora around here. <laughs> oh, great. Some flowers so that, that I can turn into a floral tea. Yeah. But he did that, and um, then before he got much further, a raccoon appeared and stole the tea kit. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Just was he crushed? with it. I, was, yeah. I, I I turned away for a minute and I turned back and I said, how's the tea kit going? And he said, the raccoon stole it. <laughs> <laughs> it's karma, if ever I heard it. Uh, and how about you? What was the, what were those first few teachers like? I think the thing I hadn't prepared for was how divergent the play experience was going to be from demo to demo. Because it's an open world game based on exploration, I, I, I don't think I'd quite grasped how open it was going to be. That some early teachers, they got bogged down in doing what they were doing at Lone Tree Station. Other early teachers, they found other missions that weren't the demo mission and decided to do them instead, which was completely legitimate. One group travelled away from Lone Tree Station and found an arcology sinkhole. 
So just the image is amazing of finding a, finding a hole in the ground and realizing that there's an underground arcology, and they decided, right, we're going to try and get down there, which was not their mission, and that I think made it a really satisfying experience across all three days. But early on, you know, you you go through the same patter about getting them into the game and getting them ready. Or even the other thing that happened a lot, if people played Oru the Sheepdog, which is a card, one of the things you can do is pet the Sheepdog. And the number of times that the team stopped worrying about using their energy to progress and started using their energy to pet the Sheepdog was wonderful to me. That you're like, okay, you're, you are meant to be using your fitness energy to travel away, but instead you're using it to pet a sheepdog. Yeah, Fine. that's right. Yeah, that, that that's was quite, okay. It's quite a common, um, <laughs> quite a yeah. common theme in the, in the in the games I was doing. The other thing I think I noticed was because I've not played loads of Earthborn Rangers, I think I was more open to the surprises of it. I noticed that I wasn't sitting there thinking, "That's not a good line of play. What are you doing?" Sometimes, you know, someone is doing something that doesn't seem that efficient or whatever it is. But but more often, I was left saying to players, like, I can tell you things you can do, but I can't tell you what the optimum path is because I don't know. And I found that really refreshing. You know, when you're teaching friends a game that you know really well, you come into it with that knowledge you already have about what are good lines of play and what aren't. Yeah, and yeah. Because I didn't have that knowledge... I didn't feel burdened by it, which was really nice. I guess I'm thinking of that time that you saw someone playing Old Book of Law in Roland. Yeah, yes, yes, the classic. And you were like, yeah, you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's fine, but is it good, I guess. I, and that led us to, a, we talked a lot about Earthborn Rangers even when we weren't on duty demoing. And mm-hmm. I think it led to sort of broader questions about wondering how open the game is and how easy or hard it is to find lines of play. So you have eight energy to spend in a turn, but by the end of the weekend, certainly you were suggesting a turn might just be, say, spending four energy, and that would be it. And we've heard Andrew suggest that as well. You start out, you want to play it efficiently, I'm using bunny ears, but then you realise, actually, do I need to do that? And unlike in Arkham, where you've got your three actions and forfeiting actions is a very rare occurrence, it feels like in Earthborn Rangers, because every time you spend your energy to take tests, the world activates, there might be times where you just, I'm going to play a card with this energy, I'm going to do one big test with, you know, these three energy, and I've got a few left, I'm just going to wait. And yeah, that's also, I kind of can't wait to play more of the game and get my head around that. And unlike in Arkham, there's no doom clock that's ticking up when you're taking turns. Mm, you do get mm-hmm. path cards, and the ultimate effect of path cards is that you, you're you're tiring yourself out working around them. Mm-hmm. But in the grand scheme of things, additional path cards is not a huge amount of extra fatigue. Mm. Typically, they can be, but Typically, often they're not. Yeah. Uh, and there are lots of abilities in the game where you can see what path cards are coming up mm. and mm-hmm. and kind of manipulate them that way. Yeah. So like, yeah. you know, if you can't if you don't succeed at what you want to do in a turn in kind of one action, then you can end the turn and have another crack and it's not it's not the end of the world at all. Yes. Yeah. There's even actually, I mean the other sort of nuance here is that when you travel in Earthborn Rangers, pretty much every path card gets cleared away. 
Yes, so that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Arkham, if you forfeit a turn, you draw another encounter card, and your situation is just getting worse. That's not, staying there until you, the end of the scenario, if you can't get rid of yeah, it. Yeah, you're getting more and more bogged down. There's no, like, I'm done with this area, I'm moving, apart from in a few sort of very specific cases. Whereas in Earthborn Rangers, yeah, you could be in a, an area, go, oh my goodness, this is getting bad. I have enough progress to travel away. I'm just going to end the turn, travel away, everything clears. You're out of that crisis, and then you can start deciding what you're doing. So, yeah, the threat of the cards themselves is maybe a bit lower, but also the way of clearing them is... There are, there are ways of clearing them that are easy, and that means that they, they're they less permanent, they're more transient. Yeah. And how about your energy over the weekend? Did you tire of teaching the game? Were there things that you found frustrating to teach or, you know, a, this is it, tricksy? What, what was it like not just starting to demo it, but putting in 25 hours of demoing it? There was a bit, yeah... And and I think we're going to go back and talk to the Earthborn team about this as as you know as far as they'll listen to us. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of things as far that, as they'll uh, listen to these two chumps just <laughs> uh, wading in. There's a couple of things that took a few goes for a lot of people to get their head around, like the link between the the aspects, so, so the equivalent of the kind of faction of the card mm-hmm. and the icons on the card. And then how the tests work. Because fundamentally the way the tests work is that you spend some... You, you have four pools of energy at the start of the turn related to your four attributes. Mm-hmm. Is it, are they aspects? Is that the aspects, right word? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, attribute is skill cards. Yes. So you have four aspects and there's four pools of energy around those. And to take a skill test, you spend some amount of energy, which gives you the base, the base of your effort. And then you yeah. can commit icons, much like you can in, in Arkham. Mm, or a lot of other yeah. games. And then there's a list of common tests which are all paired between one of four energy types and then one of four approach types. Yeah. But they're not always paired the same way across the game. And yeah. they're not always paired up with the same... So people were thinking, oh, this is a conflict icon. Uh, so this is a this is a red card, therefore it's got this particular kind of icon on it. The exploration, yeah. I think it is. Yeah, that's right. So even yeah. if the icon on the red card wasn't uh, an exploration icon, they were trying to commit it to a test where they'd spent red energy. Yes. Yeah. I probably not explain that very well to people who play the are, game. You're... Yeah. That, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> but but it it was just a kind of I don't know whether it wasn't intuitive or what you hadn't taught it very well. It was just. A I started teaching people. it more explicitly halfway through the weekend, where I'd lay out a hand of cards. And I'd point out the different colours of the cards and how you, that's what energy you need to spend to play them. Yeah. Then I'd point out, as you've just done, about the energy you need to spend to take tests. And then I'd point out the approach icons and point out that they're not connected. And one thing that I thought was an interesting teachable possibility that early on I was glossing over but later I wasn't is one of the first cards they draw is the overgrown thicket, which blocks their way. And there's a couple of different ways of interacting with it that do exactly as you described. Like there's a couple of different tests that use different energy, but the same icon. So you can hunt for a way through the hit thicket using your awareness and exploration icons, or you can traverse the thicket using your fitness and exploration icons. 
and I guess, yeah, I find that really fascinating about the game, that there's really 16 possible actions, the four four energy types meeting the four approach icons. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's just that that's not clear necessarily from the common tests sheet. Yeah. In Arkham, icons are matched to a skill. So you have the willpower stat and willpower icons. And that's quite straightforward. Combat stat, combat icons. But it's not the same in Earthborn Rangers. Those two things are kind of disconnected, unyoked from, yeah. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting was, well, we t- if I can, if I can expand a little bit, Frank. Mm, please, yeah. One of the things that really struck me, having had more experience watching people play the game, is just how much you can work around the path cards that come into play. Mm-hmm. One of the things I was trying to say to you when we had our walk in the riverside in your hometown, Frank, mm-hmm. yeah, shall remain nameless. Okay, so listeners can work out there is a river. In my town. Yes. It's narrowing it down. <laughs> and it's a town, so there's no cathedral. Yeah. yeah, true as well. Yeah. Okay, wow, it's really narrowing down now. Yeah. Because the the way that the uh, the path cards, like the grit between you and the smooth running of the scenario, rather than dealing like health damage, or well, damage and horror, mm-hmm. they deal fatigue. And your fatigue pool as it were is much much bigger like with with a lot of enemies in arkham like a single point of damage or horror is quite a it's quite a thick resolution for things causing harm to you yes anything that causes more than one is quite a bit and if you're say if you've got five in a stats you're one of the five nine investigators if you take two in your off stat that's a big that can be a big issue yeah, because then you've, you you can only make kind of three mistakes over the course of the scenario, and then you're out. Example here: playing Arkham on Saturday night. You were playing Carson, and the first encounter card you drew gave you two damage. Yeah, and that's a third Sudden, of my health yeah, pool gone. Suddenly, you've only got four health left, and I I didn't say it at the time, but I was starting to feel deeply nervous. Like, yeah. you could be dead in two more turns if we're not careful. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Okay, carry on. Yeah, but then in, in Earthborn, that's greatly expanded because it's it, each fatigue is one card in your deck and the, the game ends when you run out of cards. So that's mm. jumped up to then 30. Life, so, yeah. Yeah, hit points, yeah. Or whatever you want to call them. But it's, it's much easier. It's, the resolution is much, much finer. So you mm. can ignore one path card, assuming it's only doing one fatigue. Yeah, much more easily than you can ignore one enemy in Arkham, mm-hmm. and I think it it leads you to think more about what is it that I want to leave in play, what do I what do I need to worry about that's in play, and what can I just work around by mm-hmm. avoiding it or mm-hmm. just just sucking up the fatigue. Yes, yeah. Or if I can just pass this card somewhere else, is that fine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other element to this is that you can soothe fatigue in Earthborn Rangers, and when you soothe fatigue, you take cards from your fatigue stack and add them back to your hand, not yeah. to your deck, to your hand. So I sometimes describe fatigue as like the card was halfway discarded, because it's not ended up in your discard pile, but it could, depending on different circumstances. In Arkham, the, the main reason you might want to heal damage is because the next damage you take is going to end the scenario. 
that's I would say the main reason. If mm-hmm. you're if you're I don't know a Nathaniel Cho nine health investigator and you take one damage, healing that one damage is not a priority. But if you are on eight of nine damage, healing a bit might be a priority. But in Earthborn Rangers, the reward for soothing fatigue is getting the cards to use them. So it's a progressive ability rather than just fending off the end of the scenario. If I soothe fatigue, that might put me in a position to get to my goal, even though I know my deck is about to run out and that would end the game. It's almost like if in Arkham, every time you healed damage or horror, you also drew cards. You know, there's a, it's progressive rather than just simply reactive to whatever's going on in the situ, in, in the scenario. And I think that's really important because if soothing fatigue was simply holding off the inevitable, I would value it much lower than I do at the moment. So yeah, in conclusion, I think the fatigue system is, it has much more nuance than it appears to have. Yeah. Uh, hey, actually, good example. Some of the de- people I demoed to felt quite wary of fatigue and worked quite hard at dealing with it. And other players, partly, I think, because they were receiving a demo, decided, fine, let's go for it. And just really didn't care about fatigue. Their fatigue stacks were up to maybe 10, 15, maybe more cards. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think one way of playing is right and one way is wrong. I think they're just two different approaches, which is also exciting in terms of getting my hands on the game and finding out what is right and what is wrong. And I don't know if you can do that in Arkham. There's very few investigators that go, I'm just not going to care about an enemy for a couple of turns. So yeah, Except Daniela. Daniela. Calvin, early in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And any conclusions or further thoughts or areas that you're itching to explore more after 25 hours of demoing i'm interested to kind of dig into the player counts how it feels at different player counts because mm-hmm. when we were teaching the only other thing i thought when we were teaching was some of the thresholds feel very high at four players mm. but it's hard to know whether you're multiplying the amount of time it takes for someone to learn by four and that's just adding to how long it takes, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Plus, you've got that the people will want to people want to get the most out of their time with the demo. So they feel mm-hmm. like ending the round is something they don't want to do. So they put everything they can into that first round. When yes. actually, like, you know, we have people traveling away in the first round from the, the initial location. When actually, maybe that's possibly burning yourself out a little bit, needlessly. Yes. You're not desperately trying to get somewhere in that in that kind of short period of time. Yeah. It's a little bit like the equivalent of starting... I mean, the action system in Arkham stops this happening, but the equivalent of playing your entire hand first turn in Arkham. Yeah, yeah. And then you're really set up, but you have no resources and no cards in hand. Yeah. And turns two and three can feel a bit uncomfortable as you try and rebuild. And I saw quite a few people do that in the demo of Earthborn Rangers. You get eight energy to play with and you've got all of these cards in hand to play and commit. So you do that and then at the end of the round you draw one card. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Turn two, you've got one one card to deal with. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's an interesting wrinkle to it, I think. You were saying to me, yeah, maybe maybe the more experienced player only plays a single card or two cards in that first round, puts a bit of progress down, 
and then they're left with four cards, maybe maybe three or four energy they've not spent, but they're in quite strong position, and on yeah. they go. And for me to answer the same question, what was I left thinking about it? Yeah. I think the player count thing is a really interesting one, the kind of interplay of it. We were wondering if two players is going to be a real sweet spot for it. I mean, the general sense I was left with was an excitement at just going deeper. Like, it felt very titillating <laughs> in the best sense to see yeah. people go to different places. I mentioned the underground arcology. I was like, oh, my goodness, that sounds so awesome. Some of the things you described, if you had some players get onto the airship. It's like, this is so cool. You know? yeah. And yeah, each yeah, play yeah. might be different in that way. And particularly, actually, that idea that you might travel away from a place quite quickly means that you're not locations are not the same as scenarios in Arkham where you see everything that you see a snapshot and on you go I'm left wanting more which I think if you'd asked me what I was expecting I think I was expecting to be a bit sick of it by the end of the weekend not like dreading that but that was a reasonable assumption to make so I'm quite pleasantly surprised that I'm not yeah it's 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 sort of made me more excited to dig in and find out what else is out there Mm. Just the, the the number of ways that that demo could go, um, I yeah. think has, has done that. Yeah, if you demo Arkham by playing The Gathering, you're it's going to end either running into the Ghoul Priest or not. And I, I think The Gathering is also a great introductory scenario to the game. So I'm not I'm not trying to just just dump on that. I think I think Earthborn Rangers the open worldness. It's probably better for the demoer than it is for the... Like, we got to see something that most people who experienced the demo didn't, which was all of the different ways that people played the demo. Yes. So some people might have left the demo and gone, well, it was good, I got to play some cards, but we never actually left Lone Tree Station. And <laughs> yeah, there'll be other yeah. people who left the demo going, oh my goodness, a tea kit got stolen by an otter, or I got ambushed by a prowling Aatrox in the mountains, or whatever it is. Yeah. And yeah, maybe we're quite privileged that we get this overview of... 25 hours of seeing different experiences with the game yeah 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 yeah. we did get some arkham in as well though maybe it's time for us to yeah please please tell me what we did frank we played with some patrons and friends of patrons played machinations through time three tables so 12 of us we had exactly 12 players and yeah a good time was had by all we won we won under three hours, which was good. I think it was um, 13 minutes left on the clock. You played Carson. I did for the first time, yeah. Built for you by me, and I played Charlie. And I think I have to dive in straight away and say I'd forgotten that Massinations Through Time, spoiler warning if you've not played it yet, has a lot of ally hate in it. <laughs> That's understating it, yeah. It's like a lot designed, of ally hate in it. <laughs> it's designed to just strip you of your allies. Yeah, it's designed to strip you of your scientist allies who are an integral part of the story. I mean, the, the flip side of saying it is that, that it, it is designed to do that. And what yeah. you designed, Frank, was a deck to insulate the, those scientists from those effects. Mm-hmm. With the ally bubble that I put around them. That's right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just to say that, that that was your only way of doing well, <laughs> was using the ally bubble. God. So it's it's Charlie, the politician with his arms around these two scientists that he's schmoozing, and then all of his other hangers-on basically being fed into the meat grinder around him as he... Yeah. So, uh, to 
without going through the whole play-by-play, I got set up very quickly, thanks to some help from Carson, up to five allies happily. I was running Charisma. I then drew a series of unfortunate encounter draws. I drew Overzealous in my own deck and Burden of Leadership, and I went down to one ally in play. And then the grand rebuild happened, and I rebuilt back up to five allies, including my Summoned Hound, my Miss Doyle, my Michael Lee, worked my way through a Gregory Gry resources as well, and Mm. once again was struck by the thing. I definitely said it on the cast before, but I built my Charlie deck saying, well, I can't just have allies as my assets. There must be other things I need to play. And then once again, just played with allies and felt like I did competently, which is, it boggles my mind. (laughs) How about you? How was... Carson on the other side of the game. Yeah, he, he was so much fun. A really, really enjoyable deck to play. Because uh, that decision of where the actions go, and I think maybe most crucially when you take your turn, mm. uh, is, is, is really big. And I think the thing, I don't know whether I've talked about it on the cast before, but I've talked about it with you before. Mm. The idea that, that taking an action out of turn to, say, allow a fighter to reposition themselves before fighting or allowing a clue player to reposition themselves, for example, or, Mm -hmm. you know, for a fighter to play a weapon or something. Like, there's lots of instances where taking those actions out of turn are really Mm -hmm. useful. Yeah, yeah. The shortcut effect. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, someone evades one, and then you all move out the the location or someone... Yeah, it it just... I think there's there's lots in there that's really, really useful for that. However, the thing I didn't anticipate was Carson kind of masterminding that and and like leading mop up at the end of the turn. Mm. So we'd have mm-hmm. look at times when you know you might want an action. You could you could run closer to the kind of closer to the wire in terms of we don't want to get the dedicated fighter out, but we've got a character here who's got some fight events. So they go if they don't clear the enemy. Carson's still there to help mop up the enemy just in case that doesn't ha- that you know it doesn't work out yeah yeah or you know it's like oh we, the, the fighter can probably kill this enemy that's fine the fighter doesn't kill the enemy oh well here here's an extra action fighter and if they yeah. have killed the enemy then the extra action goes on to a cluing character who can pick up more clues yeah well and there's even that option if the cluer is trying to clear the location the fighter is trying to clear the location of enemies and they both don't quite achieve it and Carson says, well, you each both get an extra action yeah, <laughs> because that's the most yeah. efficient use of my actions and any combination. Like, yeah, the safety net that Carson was offering and it start, you know, we we talked going in that you'd be the one leading the way and saying, you do this, you do that, the kind of grand strategy. But then actually the role you adopted was almost the inverse of that, of not I'm going to tell people what they need to do. I'm going to be the backup once the plan has been formulated to make sure that that plan gets delivered, yeah, which yeah. is actually more in keeping with being the butler. I'm going to be the one behind the scenes making sure that gets done. So we were playing with two patrons, one, one with a Nathaniel Cho deck and the other with an Agnes Baker, parallel Agnes deck. Nathaniel was obviously very fighty. I think not really any clues at all. And then Carson was running the Runic Axe to add a bit of fighting. But of course, it's quite hard work for Carson to regularly hit high combat thresholds. 
Then Agnes had lots of spell events and Sixth Sense, so could Clue, and my Charlie was also very cluey, but I didn't really have much multi-clue, so I needed a bit of help with that as well. So just across those three, suddenly Carson has quite a range of actions that he can offer, whether that's giving Charlie another boost or another chance to play an ally, or giving Agnes a chance to play another event or get a few more clues, or Nathaniel fighting. You said afterwards as well, which I thought was an interesting point, that maybe Carson and Charlie aren't that good a fit, because often I would take my turn and I would have ended up exhausting all of my allies. And at that point, I'm then tapped out and being given an extra action for another test at that point. It's like, well, I'm a one versus three here. Yes. And I think there's, I think there's something in that. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> uh, how it worked out was actually you having the actions really, really helped because of how diminished your, your board state was after the first few turns. I really needed help rebuilding, and there's Carson helping me draw cards, even just giving me a spare action to take a resource or two. It didn't feel as much of a waste because it was a spare action. It was your fourth action, which was yeah, amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we were playing the present, and I think we had a pretty decent run of it. The past had a really rotten time of it, they were brutalised and yeah. we came riding to the rescue <laughs> right at the end. And the future seemed to be doing fine. There was another Charlie deck on the future table as well. Oh, so that's right. Yeah, yeah. Charlie's <laughs> two of us had not, not got the memo. <laughs> and yeah, Charlie dancing through time. Past table was a Jenny, a Winnie, um, an Amina. I can't remember who the fourth character was. Oh, Patrice. The, yeah, Patrice, yeah. Yeah. And I, on the future, there was Charlie, and I, didn't, I don't think I saw the other three decks. Did you see who they were playing? No, I didn't, unfortunately. No. Okay. That was a, a patron with two friends and then an, another player. So they, the three of them were kind of quite self-sufficient. But yeah, it was really good. One patron, Asisani, had prepared us little printouts of all of the things that can get shouted out and provided pens. And had also provided name labels, which was fantastic. Yes. The another couple of lovely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another couple of patrons arrived early to reserve the tables. Thank you so much to all of you for doing that. I know we thanked you at the time, but given that our schedule was <laughs> nine hours before that of demoing, <laughs> we couldn't have been anywhere to reserve a table. And it really helped a lot. It was really wonderful. And just the, the energy of that group was fantastic, I think, the three tables. Like it felt really fun that the game began and everyone was basically on it. We were just powering on. It's such a great, fun, interactive scenario where you're shouting things out to each other and passing messages along. And it, I, I really enjoyed it. I got a real kick out of it. I think we could have been a lot more exhausted than we were. You know, mm. I think like it was just a just a kind of vindication of how well supported we were that we managed to get through another three hours of gaming that evening. Yeah. And Andrew Navarro came over and came to have a look at Massination <laughs> Through Time did, yeah, and did, hadn't, yeah. hadn't seen the scenario before. So his little mind was blown by what we were doing and how we were interacting across tables and, and things like that, which was awesome. And yet before this... Before this, before we began recording, I said to you, Peter, we shouldn't turn this into the Andrew Navarro 
fan club, but we should probably mention that to to round this episode off. That yeah. we were we weren't approached by him to demo Earthborn Rangers, but we no. then found out that he would be there. Yeah. <laughs> Extra pressure, I think. The yeah, owner of Earthborn yeah, Games going to be watching the two as, of us demoing. Yeah, yeah. We've interacted with him a couple of times, mainly from a position as of like, you know, can we get him on the cast to to big up his game and pick his brain about his history at FFG? Obviously, he's been an influential person. Was head of studio there, twenty seventeen to twenty twenty. So that's as Arkham was coming out or, or just as it was coming out, he was then overseeing all of that. He had a hand in designing the return to boxes. Yeah. The player cards in Arkham, the backs of them are his design. Did you know that? I, yeah, no, I know that because uh, you said it at the weekend. <laughs> yeah, because someone came and asked him to sign a card when we were demoing. Yeah. And he was like, what do you want me to sign? And then he said, I designed the back. And... <laughs> Imagine if that's how your your deck was marked, all the backs. Yeah, the exactly. Someone back. at the table who wasn't the person getting the signature did say something like, "Well, it would be a bit dumb to sign the back of one card, wouldn't it?" And then you could obviously <laughs> wear like put them in opaque sleeves, and then you can't see the signed card. So yeah, he signed a a Silas promo instead, which was super cool. Anyway, what did you make of Andrew? Oh, it was just really nice. He was really supportive. He fetched me fetched me some water at one point. Um, yeah, he made sure we were we were able to to the loo when we needed to go. Yeah, uh, just really nice having him there on hand to talk about the game. And I think mm-hmm. every time someone came up and said, "Oh, I kickstarted the game," if Andrew was in earshot, he'd step over and just chat to them personally. He must yeah. have been asked the same kind of three or four questions about Kickstarter fulfillment, you know, a hundred times over the weekend, and yeah. uh, answered graciously each time. Which is which is fair enough, you know. Um, it's it's his project, it's his passion. But it was just really nice that that so many people got a chance to have a chat to him and pick his brains on this. Yeah, how did you feel hanging out with him? Yeah, really positive. He seemed to cut a good balance between being around, but not actually being that thing that I feared, which was sort of watching us and our every move. You know, yeah. he wasn't he wasn't kind of backseat driving demos and saying, "Oh, well, another thing you should know that Frank's not said." He was quite quite hands off. <laughs> Yeah. which I thought was great. He actually sat in on a demo I ran as well. One of the demos I did was for one of his business partners. You know, there's, <laughs> This is one thing I learned over the weekend. There are actually many more layers that go into, that end up between person who creates game and person who plays game than I'd appreciated. I'd thought of it as, you know, studio, distributor, retailer, player. Yeah. But there's a lot of other bits in there. Anyway, one of these people was getting a demo and we needed an extra player and Andrew sat down to play. That is a strange experience, demoing a game to the person who made it. <laughs> but but he was very good with that as well and didn't didn't backseat drive, for which I'm really grateful. And yeah, he was just a really nice guy. Excellent. Really good, yeah. So yeah. So we've probably got more Carson thoughts coming up. Yes. I'd like to play him some more. Yeah, highlight moment probably of the weekend was... 1am about to turn out our light and uh, <laughs> Peter's Copy. little voice launches into a new Carson idea that he's had which was fantastic <laughs> fantastic so mission accomplished as far as I'm concerned in getting you on the Carson train and we probably want to dive into some more Earthborn Rangers discussion as well we're not turning this cast into a 
Arkham and Earthborn Rangers cast. But I guess it's at the hotness, the hotness at the moment for us. And certainly for me, I've always felt like we have to pursue what we're passionate about for the podcast. Yes. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do. And my underlying feeling is talking about other cooperative card games will enhance our knowledge and experience of Arkham. So that's where I'm at with it. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And, um, you know, distribution methods for Arkham are, are shifting. And <laughs> Yeah. I thought you were going to say and distribution methods are one of your passions. So yeah. we need to well, talk more are, about that. Yeah, they are, though. You yeah, are. it's true. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so, so so things are shifting, and and the balance of how the game is distributed across the year it changes. Yeah. So it's it's nice to yeah. have some other stuff to talk about. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice to be beginners again, and that's that's something I'm really enjoying. That sense of wonder, childlike wonder, lack of cynicism. Would you go? To, would you go to the uh, expo again next year? To demo. Well, would you go to the expo next year? E- tentative, yes. Yeah. Well, if you had yeah. to demo? again if I had to demo um <laughs> I would I tell you, here's a radical thought yes I would almost attempt to to demo where you start the game even further in than we started oh if you were demoing Earthborn again yeah I would want the table to be set up everyone already have a card in play and maybe even that first turn being like right the way this demo is going to work is you're already a turn in. Here's what's happened so far. And here's how you're going to get playing. Because I think the one thing that I've noticed is obviously that process of getting set up, as you said, the whole first round can be a bit set up That's what I would change. Yes. In medias res, how do we get people at that point? One of the pitfalls of demoing a card game is at a certain point, you say to all the players, draw six cards from your deck. And then, the, like you can see the looks on their faces as they're trying yeah, to grok yeah, six cards yeah. of oh my goodness, it's four different colours. They're different card types. There's all of these different symbols. What do they all mean? Uh, you know, what's a trail? <laughs> yes. Are yes. there any flora in play? You know, these kinds of questions. So that's that's what I would change. But would I go to the expo again? Yeah, I think I'd go to the expo again. How about you, Peter? I'd love to go, yeah. I would definitely like to do something which allows us to experience more of it this time. Yeah. Like, people are going to see dark, a dark, the Dark Room, mm. uh, which I really, really want to see again. And it would be great yeah. to see that at the Expo. Um, but just when you're working all day, you only get a small amount of time in the evenings to kind of just relax yeah. with your friends. Yeah. And unless you're going to do the thing which I know some people do at the Expo, which is sort of exist on four or five hours sleep but i think we were both fairly well behaved in that regard yes particularly because you're going to then be demoing for nine hours so yeah low light of the expo was saturday lunchtime on my lunch break i queued queued to get food queued to get outside to get some fresh air yeah then queued to go to the loo and then tried to get back on time and sort of queued to get back into the expo and that was my lunch break, like basically surrounded by people. And that's, you know, <laughs> go to a busy thing, expect to be surrounded by busy people. But yeah, there wasn't much wriggle room for uh, decompressing or going and looking at different stalls. Oh, hey, shout out to Jaya. I went and saw Jaya's game and he gave me a five minute demo of that. Oh, incredible. Yeah, Awesome. So yeah, looking forward to hearing more about that down the line as well. 
But yeah. Okay. Let's finish. Yes. Bits done. Bits done. Post-expo bits done. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, listener. If you want to get in touch with us, we're on Drawn to the Flame podcast at gmail.com. We're on Drawn to the Flame on Facebook, Twitter, Designed by Humans and Patreon. Thank you to all our patrons for their wonderful support. And thank you to those patrons who made our wonderful Massinations Through Time event such a joy. Thank you very much. Yeah. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United all over the place. So I'm on Twitter and I'm on Discord and Reddit and Instagram and all sorts of places is United or the United. Uh, how about you, Frank? I'm FB on Twitter. That's EPH underscore BEE. And then I'm around the place as Zooey Glass and Zozo. Yeah, please say hi as well. And thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.